0: Good morning. It is good to be gathered this morning with brothers and sisters and worship. What do you think is the most common question I get asked in school? Okay, let me demonstrate. Student, Mr. Weaver... When am I ever going to use this in my job? Why do I need to learn this? My response, and I've found a typical teacher's response well, Johnny, if you're ever a farmer, you might have to calculate the food that you're feeding your cows. Or, Susie, if you're ever mom one day and you're cooking in the kitchen you might use these proportions student but mr weaver i'm never gonna be a farmer you see as we're digging through the materials in school the big question is why do i need to do this you ever ask yourself that (laughs) why am i doing this so what would you say What's the purpose of school? If you were a teacher and somebody asked you that, a student. Let me tell you a story about Theodore. Theodore is a the little boy in the picture. Theodore was born in Sparta. Sparta is in Greece over in Europe. He was born before Jesus came along. So this was B.C., As he entered the world, a shield was a common sight at his house. As Theodore was growing up, he had a mom who cared for him tremendously. He had a dad who he knew cared for him, but he didn't see him much. Finally, when he was four, there was a big celebration because dad was coming home. And the whole community got together to throw a celebration for his dad. They celebrated his victories at war. The shield was held high. This was when Theodore was four. As Theodore continued to grow, he knew he had a brother as well, Anders. But he heard about Anders, but he never saw him. All he heard was people celebrating what Anders was doing. When he was six, there was another celebration. Except this time, there was no person that was present they were celebrating. It was only the shield. Only the shield had come back to their community. The shield of his brother Anders. Yet there was very few tears of sorrow. It was mostly of joy. Theodore asked a question. I just wanted to see my brother. Why are they celebrating? His mom and his dad both said, Theodore, Andre, I Anders, gave his life. He fulfilled his purpose. His shield has returned. He conquered. He won. So as a little boy growing up, Theodore started creating goals and aspirations for life. His dad was celebrated. His brother was celebrated. Why? Because they gave themselves for the cause. So through his young ear- years, Theodore had a vision and a goal to do exactly what what dad and brother did this was instilled him instilled in him at a young age let's fast forward to theodore's 7th birthday party again another celebration the community was good at celebrating the whole everybody was there and as they celebrated they had food at the end of the celebration his mom disappeared for a little bit and returned with a shield that was bigger than himself, a little measly seven-year-old boy. And she blessed him on his seventh birthday party, and these were her last parting words to her son. Return with this shield or on it. The next morning, he went off to boot camp, a seven-year-old boy, This is what the community at Sparta wanted. They wanted their men to protect their community, their city. And so at a very young age, they instilled in their boys, their purpose in life was to go fight. Return with this shield or on it was the last words Theodore heard from his mother. Never to return again. Only his shield returned to his town. That's what the vision of Sparta was for their young men. As I thought about that story, I thought about the children here. How many children do you think are represented here at Town? I actually went through and counted them up. I think I came up with over 70 under the age of 18. Wow! I should be here and praise the Lord! Over 70. Incredible. That's the future church. It's the next generation that's going to soon be standing up here, that's going to be leading us old folks. What's going to be their purpose? What are they hearing from us? Is it just a shield at their birthday party? Is it a man, a man of valor, a soldier? Is that what they're living for? There's a quote that says, it takes a village to raise a child. An African quote from the villages of little communities in Africa. And this was a mantra that they repeated again and again. It takes a village to raise a child. In other words, it's more than just the family, it's the community. And as I sat and thought about that, It blessed my heart to be a part of a community that I'm not in this alone. I'm not raising my children alone. We have a brotherhood here that we can rely on. I can trust my Sunday school teachers. I can, this fall, trust my teachers as they train my children, as they educate my children. It's a beautiful thing. It takes a village to raise a child. So, let me ask you this. The mantra of Sparta was, return with a shield or on it. What's our mantra? If I was to ask you what is the most important thing in life, how would you respond? Actually, I would like some feedback if I, if, if I can. Um, I don't know if uh, there's some brave souls under the age of five Anybody under the age of five can verbalize what do you think the most important thing in life is? No five-year-olds. All right, how about under 10? If somebody was to ask you what's the most important thing in life, what would you say? At school, I would keep waiting, but there's adults here. I get it. It's a little scary. All right, how about somebody in their teens, under 20? What is the most important thing in life? Adults, we got some work to do. All right, somebody in their 20s. It's not a trick question. All right, 30s. Uh, We'll say 30s and forty. Okay, you guys are scared that I'm putting you in an age group. Sorry. Somebody under the age of 40. Love. Love. Love is the most important thing. Anything else? Serve Christ. All right. How about forty to sixty, somewhere in that gap? Obedience Obedience is the most important thing in life. All right. How about somebody over sixty? Anybody else? All right, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God and love others. Would you agree that we could fasten most of what we believe under that premise to love God and love others? Yes, there's a lot that fits underneath it. It's not that simple. But can that be a mantra that our five-year-olds are repeating, that our 10-year-olds are repeating? I need to love God and love others. I posed this morning that that can be our mantra. How do we learn this? Is this something that can be learned, how to love God? What education do we need? What training do we need to understand that? Where do we learn it? Uh, Maybe if we would start quoting that every Sunday morning, people would follow it. That might help. But let me say this. Just quoting things will not make it happen. What did the Spartans do? They said it. They instilled it at a young age and they did it. At seven. My daughter is five. I can't imagine in two years sending her off to not see her again till she's 30 some. That was typical of the Spartan young men. Yet they had such belief in that that they followed up and they sacrificed their children. They gave their children to the cause of the community. They were not focused on their house and their businesses and vacations and family wealth. They were focused on the goal of the community. So, could I say this? Would you agree with me on this premise that our goal should be to have boys and girls, or I'm going to say men and women, who love God by serving others? Can I get some heads shaken? Do you agree? Don't agree? Men and women who love God by serving others. Yes, there's a lot that fits underneath it. I'm not trying to make it so simple, but I think it is. So if that's our goal, how do we get there? How do we get our children to envision, embody the cause of, I want to love God. And by loving God, that means I'm going to give my life of service to others for the cause of Christ, for the cause of my church, for the cause of the kingdom It's not about me. So, right, right, like the the Spartans, there is training. There needs to be training. Education. Sometimes the word education is right away put under the umbrella of school. Education is broader. It's what the family teaches. It's what the church teaches to their young children. Education. School plays a part of that. Plays a huge part. It humbles me to stop and think about the many hours that our children spend at school. What are they learning at school? So this morning I've entitled the message, Why School? And the sad part is, I've already lost some of you. Because school sometimes does not bring back good memories. And that makes me sad. When we're spending so much time with our young people that when they look back as adults, they have bad memories. School is a place where they should look back and say, that's where I learned to love God and serve others. Everything else fits underneath that. That's why I learned the math. That's why I learned the science. So I have a broad vision of what God is doing in the world. So I can use that wherever he calls me to. Why school? We're going to look at what God says. We're going to look at a brief history of school. No, I'm not going to give you a test at the end of dates of, and of names. This is a story. And then we're going to look at where we are and where to go. And I just ask for, you know, some of you might write me off as, well, he's invested in school, so he's a little biased to begin with. Yes, I may be a little biased. I, do, I am invested in school. I, but I believe the church and the school need to be connected and so I invite you to think about that thought this morning. So as we think about school, why school? And our goal of bringing men and women to the place of loving God by serving others. What does God say about education? First of all, Genesis 18, 9, uh, God, uh, the angels are close to Abraham. And they were just getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're saying, oh, should I talk to, to Abraham and and?" tell him about what's happening. And God says this, yes, because Abraham commands his children that they will keep the way of the Lord. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God commends Abraham for training his family in the way of the Lord. It is needed. Or let me ask you this, are children born with the tendency to love God and love others before (laughs) themselves? No, not the children I've seen it's going to take a training it's going to take a nurturing and that's normal and god says here abraham's got it down pat he recognizes that he needs to command his children proverbs 29:15 says a child left to himself brings his mother shame and this is the tendency or this is a a pattern of culture today letting children to themselves children runs we do things that please the children Sadly, it's creeping into, I think, our church culture as well. Ephesians 6.4 says, provoke not. Dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't make them angry by the way you interact with them, but rather instruct them. Discipline them in love. So I'm gathering that God is saying there needs to be a training. There needs to be a nurturing. Proverbs 22.6, the last one we're going to look at train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. At a young age, if you instill values in a child, that will be ingrained with them for the rest of their life. Yes, as they get older, they're gonna need to make a choice. I'm not saying that we make all their choices for them, but when we train them at a young age, they will be in a much better place to make good choices later on in life. So that's what God says. God says, God says there needs to be a training. There needs to be a nurturing. So the next question I pose is, what did people do? Has, question, has anybody ever here studied into say, school history? Not too many hands. Maybe some of us have looked into it a little bit. I'm going to start back and, and cover a, a couple thousand years of schooling. And it's interesting and all I'm going to do is pull out some nuggets. I don't expect you to remember everything, but I hope we can make so, connect some dots as we see how the people behind us have trained children, have educated their children. Let's back up to Sparta. I already gave the, the story of Theodore. You see, the, the city of Sparta was focused on an end goal of their young men being soldiers. Therefore, they, made, they set s- specific goals for that. And at age seven they're off to boot camp. The mother was really the state nurse. The education benefited the state. It was not to benefit the person or the family. It was to benefit the community. That was their focus. They were prepared for fighting. Uh, Let's uh, jump down to Athens in a similar fashion in BC before Christ. uh, Again, a seven-year-old, they went to school They would hire slaves to educate their children, walk with them 24-7 to teach them. The poor, who could not afford a personal tutor for each student, each of their children, sent them to school. They were focused on learning. Then we move into the Roman Empire, and that's when elementary, secondary, and college schools came into existence. They realized, okay, we need to bring structure to this. Romans are known for their administration and Having, having clear-cut guidelines. So elementary school, younger years, and then we're going to provide a secondary school for the high school, and then college, higher education, where they dig in and learn further. Any other countries follow that uh, same, same thing today? Along that uh, time, there was a teacher, Quintilian, came along, and his push was, don't just punish in education. you got a reward for doing good. He brought about uh, making education fun, and also I forgot to say, seven-year-olds or the Roman Empire. When did they start school? Seven a.m. So Henry, when school starts, August twenty-fourth, see you at seven a.m. Now, see, they had it back then. They wanted to take as much of their day as they can in learning at a young age. So seven a.m. Quintilian came along and said, "No need to start at seven. Let them sleep." Maybe they'll be more alert. So that was the Roman schools. Moving ahead to the Jewish schools, right around the time of Jesus, uh, they had respectable teachers. People of the community that were respected. That's who their teachers were. Again, here, they circled back to school starting at sunrise. Sun was up, you were at school. Sun went down, you went home. Really focused on learning. The thing that sticks out about the Jewish schools is this. What did they use for their textbooks? The Old Testament. That is the people they produced. People who were instilled in the law. Who had the law ingrained in them. That was their focus. you got to know the law. So far, these schools educated a certain way and they got an end result. They had a specific end result they wanted to get to: the Spartans, the Athenians, the Romans, the Jewish schools. Then we move in into the Catholic schools. This was uh, around the, t- the first couple years of AD after Christ. You had the priest, and in the Catholic setting, ninety percent of the people were illiterate, meaning they couldn't read. Oh, wouldn't that be a joy? Not worry, have to not have to worry about reading. It was the priest every. Sunday, every service that presented the law and the things of life to the people. Their silent mantra was keep out the heretics. And so they thought, if our people don't know any better, then they won't be heretical. We'll just tell them what to believe. That is how they taught. So nobody went to school. They didn't have schools. And it was just the priests in the church who taught. Well, we would train the priests. Those people who wanted to be priests, we would train them. So you only went to school if you didn't have a real job. Hmm. Heard that comment already. Chivalry was taught at this time, where it's all about men growing up to be chivalry, soldiers. Fight for what is good. This is all in the Catholic era. Now, unfortunately, because the people didn't know any better, the Crusades came out of it. Anybody hear of the Crusades? And so what the priests did is they told the people, hey, we got to go conquer our land back. Back in Jerusalem, we got to take it back. And so thousands of people would just march thousands of miles. Many of them would die and never to return because they just believed it. They didn't know any better. There was, it was so bad that there was a children's crusade where 30,000 children went. None of them returned because they believed the priest, what the priests were saying because they didn't understand life. They, weren't, they didn't know how to read and write and process information. That was the Catholic schools, an unfortunate era. Then in the 1000s, we move into classical education. This is where they reverted away from the illiteracy and said, no, we need to learn. We need to see the big picture. They made reason and faith blend. So we got to think it all through. Unfortunately, the clergy didn't understand much. They didn't even know the Ten Commandments. They didn't understand the Bible. The people who were even up front... But through this time in the 13 and 1400s, there was a light of hope. Have you heard of John Wycliffe? John Huss. They came along and they said, everybody needs to read and write. We need to dig in and read the Bible. They started providing the Bible at a, at a language the common people understood, not just in Latin. The Hussites, the Moravians, the Waldensians, look up those groups of people. They were persecuted. They had private schools to train their children, to teach the children. Their focus was this, carry the word of God in your heart. That was their purpose for educating, because it was a time of great persecution. We need our children to know the Bible. Then comes along the Reformation era, and the 1500s, and Martin Luther. Let me read to you Martin Luther's statement. He was a champion for Christian education. He states, When schools prosper, the church remains righteous and her doctrine pure. Young pupils and students are the seed and source of the church. If we were dead, whence would come our successors? If not from the schools. For the sake of the church, we must have and maintain Christian schools. So way back in the 1500s, Martin Luther says, time out. We need to develop Christian schools. What is the point of our education if we don't have an end goal? All we're doing is reproducing people to live. We have to have a Christian school with a specific focus of service in our church. He pushed for Bible-centered, short school day, music, discipline with love, older people as teachers. But he struggled with parent apathy. The parents didn't buy in. That doesn't make sense. You mean I got to pay for it? Like, I don't want to pay. So he went to the government, and in the 1500s is where the public school started. The government now was in control of the education. What do you think the government's purpose is in educating their people? Then through this time, we have the pilgrims and the Puritans. I'm going fast. We could spend a lot of time looking at some stories here. But the pilgrims and Puritans come along. Why Why did the pilgrims come to America? For religious freedom? That's what I would have answered, right? I don't think that's quite the case. I think they came for freedom of religious education. Yes, they were persecuted, but they wanted a place where they could teach their children the way they wanted, and they saw that in Pennsylvania. Ah, so that's why they came to Pennsylvania. So the Pilgrims and Puritans move over to the New World, and they believe the authority of the school came from the church. The church has to ask where do we want our young people in 50 years? Therefore, we need to train them in that way. They were attracted to PA. They first began to organize schools. Make a note, look up Christopher Dock. He was a teacher who was found on his knees dead while praying for his students. Christopher Dock was a Mennonite in the early 17 or in the late 17 early 1800s who invested his life into education in Christian schools. Christopher Dock. In 1839, there was an overseer of a school that said, Use your mind, not with selfish reasons, but to serve God and others. Education should be not for ourselves, but rather to serve God and others. Then in the 1850s, we have the McGuffey Reader coming along, which provided a nice curriculum for schools to use. And that's when the public schools entered the new world. Because there was an excess of money, the government could now run the schools. And the, edgy, and, and the morality was pretty high, actually. And so the Mennonites saw this. You know what? They have the same morals as us. Their schools are free. Let's send there. So back in the 18, late 1800s, you have the Mennonites shifting away from their private schools and sending to the public schools. Because it was okay. There was nothing wrong. And it stayed this way to the present. However, just because there's good morals doesn't mean they had a good purpose of where they wanted their young people to become. When their young people started marrying people in the public schools and choosing not to go to church, they started grappling with questions and that came in the early 1900s. Around the turn of the, the 18th, 1800s and 1900s, there was a decline in morals in the public school. And so the Mennonites and Baptists were put on the alert. And they said, wait, 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 time out. This is affecting our students. We need to start our own schools. And in 1930, I think it was, there was a case out in Oregon, Pierce versus Society of Sisters, the Catholic Church, was fighting for freedom to have their own Catholic schools. The jury and the the judge allowed it. And so out of that, put in a place for many other states to have their own private schools separate from the public school system. So not many years ago, just less than 100 years ago, we have a new system of private schooling started. There's many stories in Iowa and Indiana of the Amish and uh, fighting or asking for their rights to continue to educate their children in their private schools. Look up some of those stories. It's interesting. It did not come without a sacrifice. The vision in the 1940s was to go away from the public school system to escape the public school system and the morality, the lack of morality that was there. By 1950, there was over 40 Mennonite schools. And that brings us to the present. So that was a quick, quick overview of the school history. Let me say this. Our school has a significant impact on what our children, who our children become. As I look back to school, it wasn't the the academics that left the biggest impression on me. It was the teachers and how they guided me. There was one teacher at, Uh, in my fifth and sixth grade year, who left a note in my yearbook that I continue to go back to this day. He cared about me. You see, he had a vision for me to become a leader. And so he left a specific note for me to think about. And I continue to revisit that. School has a huge impact on what our children are becoming. Therefore, we need to take it seriously. And as you can see, I get passionate about it. So a question I pose is, where are we? So God, God asks us to educate, to train, to nurture our children. We look back at how people have done it. And we could spend a lot more time. Where are we now? And I'm just going to preface some thoughts that come from me, from, from other people. And I think it's important that we as a church grapple with what our children are learning. And we get together with the schools and we have a vision for what our children who they are going to become. Men and women who love God by serving others. Where we are now, I see an acceptance of various types, and it's not all wrong. We have elementary schools, we have high schools, we have schools that are combined, we have uh, homeschooling, we have online school. Many different types. It's not all wrong, but it's where we are. I do see that the school is disconnected from the church. I don't see church and school connected very tightly. Yes, there's some church schools, but even there I hear stories of, oh, it's the school and the church, rather separate. Another thing I see is we are losing brotherhood. Families choose as they wish. There's a lot, there's a couple different schools, and if you don't like the school, you can homeschool or or do this or that. There's so many different options that the family chooses. Going back to Sparta, did the family choose? No, it was the community that shows for the benefit of the village. It was the village who raised the child. I'm just saying that is where we are. I also see a wealth creation as our focus. I don't see us... I'll just leave it at that. Wealth creation is our focus. I see family that's in crisis. We're losing the sight that the first seven years of a child's life are the most impactful years of their life. Too many families are thinking that, oh, school will teach them. No. The first seven years of a child's life are so influential on in what they will become. I'm saying this where we're seeing. I see a tech crisis. Media. Addicted to media. I see an economy. School isn't cheap. Mm-hmm. I get it. It's not. Private schooling is not cheap. I see postmodernism. And that's briefly said by, I see that we're losing integrity. What we say and what we do don't line up. I hear things said in the church that I say, yes. And then I see things that happen in the family and I say, what? We're losing integrity. We don't do what we say. So I pose that as, where are we? As we think about our children and where we want them to become. Now, I want to give us a sight of where to go. I get passionate about this. And I think we as a church should grapple with this because we got 70 of them. And we need to decide what are our, who are our children becoming? What are they learning in Sunday school? What are they learning at home? And we as a community, a village need to raise the children. And I'm not just talking to families. I'm talking to singles too. I'm talking to the grandparents. This is everybody. We need you. Where to go? This gets me excited. I love looking ahead. We need to develop purpose. We need to have a purpose of school of education to produce lovers of God rather than lovers of money. Should I tell you the most, the most common quitting mantra that I hear is this, money. Let me illustrate. Parents go to homeschooling because it's cheaper. I hear that. I hear high schoolers say, or prospective high schoolers say, well, I can make more money doing a job. I hear teachers saying, I can't teach again because I'm not making enough money. Brothers and sisters, we're too focused on the money. I get it. It's hard. I get it. I'm concerned about the money focus that we have. And so I want us to develop purpose we're producing lovers of God, not money. We must see ourselves as resources to a broken world. That gives us purpose. That's why we educate. It takes sacrifice. Lots of it. Otherwise, let's send to the public school. Another thing I see is we as parents, we as actually a community, a village. This is not just parents, this is a village. We need to see school as essential, not just nice. Nice. Oh, it's nice that we have a Christian school. No, it's essential. It's needed if we want our children to become lovers of God. It takes work to start a school. Don't view it as a requirement. The government has requirements on how we should be educating, and sometimes we as a village view school as a requirement. I also have a vision for career teachers, older men in the classroom, teaching what matters most. That's where I want to go. I'm, I'm looking ahead. Will you join me? I, I see school leaders who ask two questions. What do we want for our children, and how do we get behind the church? It's together. The school is an arm of the church. And I see the church village hearing deeply about our schools. School is developing the future church. Therefore, the church cares deeply about what happens at school. It is invested emotionally, physically, and financially into the school. And we're having discussions on what we want for our children. My vision is this. I've chose these words carefully. School as a community effort that is equipping students to love God by serving others. Imagine if every student coming out of our school and out of our Sunday school would say, I'm here to love God and to serve others. Praise the Lord. Career teachers who pursue excellence in academic relationships and love for life. So, that to say, you heard my heart. And I think it's important that we grapple with this. And I'm very careful to even bring this because many of your families go to reach. And so, please don't take this as I don't feel support. That's not true, because you do. I, I am blessed by the support and the, that that Town has given to education, to reach to Lebanon Valley, to Schaeferstown, to Terry Hill, to Fairview. All schools represented. There may be more. And I've seen a care for it, but we need to get even more serious about it. Let's do it. And so I call us to action. Education is something bigger than ourselves. We need the village singles we need you grandparents we need you sometimes your money we need parents we need everybody it's a village that is going to raise the young generation for lovers of god so let's get excited about it school is just a part of education education is family church school it's it's a lot of areas of life one more mantra So our focus is love God by serving others. I've chose the picture very carefully as well. Feet washing is an act of service. It's a symbol of that. Each one, teach one. Let me say this. You won't learn until you teach. (laughs) But time out, Zach. I'm not a teacher. Yeah, that's okay. Not all of us are teachers. What I say by that is, as each of us learn things, we have a responsibility in the village, if I can use that term, to pass it on to somebody else. That may be financially. That may be sacrificing your job to help teach. That may be offering to build a new school. That may be, you know, the list goes on. But what I'm saying is each one of us, each one has got to teach one. Each one of us has to take the responsibility to be involved in the village of helping the next generation. So the question I posed this morning is, how are you doing that? It's August, new school year's starting. So as a year of school's getting started, ask yourself the question, how am I teaching one to love God by serving others? That may be Sunday school. We need everybody. Back to my sixth grade teacher, fifth and sixth grade teacher, he probably had one of the biggest impacts on my life. Fifth and sixth grade, they were combined. And he came to me and said, hey, Zach, I think you could memorize all the countries of the world and their capitals. And <laughs> now, not interested. Then he, he put some prize, prizes on the, on the table. I said, okay. He pushed me to study that. And I asked the question, I said, Uh, Mr. Petrie, when am I ever going to use this? (laughs) He didn't give me an answer. He just said, this is for your own good. You see, education isn't about how it benefits the person, how it benefits the community and the kingdom of God. That's what we need to be clarifying to our young people. It's not about you. It's about the bigger picture. Let's communicate that. That fifth and sixth grade teacher communicated that to me. And I'm going to continue to pass that on. So the next time a student asks me, why is this important? Yes, Stuart, get ready for it. I'm going to say, because we are servants of God, we have a love for him, and we don't know how we're going to be used in his service. Therefore, I'm going to learn. So I'm ready to be used as a servant for him. Let's all stand. care about the next generation. I hope, I I threw some shoes out. They're not going to fit all of you. Some of them you don't need to put those shoes on, those ideas. Some of you are doing well. Leave those. Grab one that you can put on and learn. Thank you, brothers and sisters. I appreciate you. Have a good week as you invest in the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly, loving Father, it is before your humble presence that we come and we say thank you. And I thank you for the village, the community, the brotherhood here at Myerstown, And it inspires me to think about the next generation coming on. And my heart's cry is that they could see in us older ones a love for God with acts of service to others. And I pray that as we think about raising the next generation, we could be very intentional about instilling that mantra in our young people. It's not about us. It's the bigger picture of your kingdom. May we do that well. I thank you for each child, each person gathered here this morning. May we, be, may we find purpose in your kingdom wherever we are. Take us as we go from here. Watch over us. In your name we pray. Amen.